morning. Glad you're here. Grab your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We spent some time at the end of last year, of the fall, going through 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3. And we'll finish up um, at the end of February, chapters 4 and 5. And so I'm hoping that you will... Uh, learn something still that we will be changed by Christ and his word this morning and uh, the rest of our time together and uh, congratulations we get to talk about suffering again and so the reason why we preach uh, verse by verse or through uh, books of the Bible is so that we don't skip things that we tend to usually skip just because they're hard difficult uncomfortable or we don't want to talk about suffering or we don't want to talk about sin or we don't want to talk about Jesus we don't want to talk about other things so so we try not to do that um, but instead we want to go verse by verse just to learn together and be challenged together and um, so so we don't skip anything, even the most difficult, the most difficult things. So I'm feeling a little off here. I feel like you guys all should just move over here. Like this, this crew should just move over here and we could all just look this way. But instead, I'll try and do the uh, spinny thing and look at you all. Let's pray again. I know Brian just prayed, uh, but let's pray one more time. Lord, we are in need of you to speak this morning. We are in need of you to challenge us this morning through your word. I'd like to speak on behalf of everyone here, but I know mostly it's just me. Lord, I need you to convict this morning of my sinful ways, that I might repent of those and grow in my faith and trust in you and in my affection towards my Savior Jesus. I pray that for others too, Lord, that you would continue to work on our hearts. God, that you would soften our hearts. And like we said last week, that you might even use a sledgehammer if needed to bust through. God, that we might truly be in awe of you. God, that we might be basking in your glory. God, that we might be fearful of who you are and what, what we know that you're capable of doing. God, that we might be challenged this morning by your word to be shaped by our Savior Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> in student ministry, uh, I would take time now, this would be the time, uh, for you to look at the person you're sitting next to or around you and tell them, hey neighbor, so you can say this to your neighbors here, hey neighbor, Jesus tells me to love you. And if you cause me not to love you, and if you cause me not to love you, you got to deal with Jesus. So help me to listen this morning. Encourage me to be different. All for the sake of Jesus. All right. Amen. Hey, First uh, Peter chapter 4. You can stop repeating now. First Peter chapter 4. You just like students in student ministry. <laughs> First uh, Peter chapter 4, we're going to work through verses 1 through 6 this morning. We are going to talk about suffering again. If you remember anything from First Peter already, you remember that Peter uh, has been talking about suffering. He's been talking about being sojourners, about being exiles. He's been reminding these folks um, that they, they don't belong to this world, yet while they're in it, they're still going to experience trials, fiery trials, suffering. And they have to constantly remind themselves of where they actually belong. 
who has adopted them, uh, what their final uh, resting place is, uh, who has saved them, who their living hope is, and despite the fact that it feels like they're walking in deadness uh, because of the brokenness of the world around, around us. And then the persecution that comes with that, of being saved, of being set apart, as, um, as Peter has told us in the first three chapters, set apart being made holy because of Christ, and now in this set-apart life, this holy life that Christ has given us, our lives should be, the new life that we have should be different, should be marked differently, should stand out. It, it should be obvious that we don't belong to, to this world. Though we all in this world will experience suffering, we, as those who have a living hope, will respond differently to it. So verses 1 and 2, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the, for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So Peter sets up this talk, and in a moment it's going to get a little bit PG-13, maybe a little rated R, and I'll try and censor as much as I can since we have multi-generations in here. So parents, be ready for that. But in the meantime, Peter reminds us, reminds Christians, reminds these Christians specifically that he's written to, that have been dispersed, that have been spread out, that are, that are now exiles and sojourners for Christ, living in Asia Minor, Minor. He's written this letter to them to encourage them. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. And how will this suffering, how will this suffering shape you? He reminds them that for the rest of your life, the rest of the life that you have on this earth, your life should no longer be being shaped by the desire of sin or by death, but instead by the life and the will of God. So if you were taking notes, this would be your first point to make. That no longer should, as, as folks who belong to Jesus, who have been rescued by him, we should no longer be, be being shaped by sin and death, but instead life and the will of God. And so today, think just for a moment. Is it, is it your desire to be shaped by life, eternal life, and the will of the Lord? And I think many of us would say yes. In fact, I see many heads nodding in agreement that, yeah, of course we want to be shaped by life, eternal life. And we want to be shaped by the will of the Lord. We want those things. We desire those things. If we've confessed Christ as Lord, that's what we're saying. We want to be shaped by you, Lord. And yet, we all know, we wrestle with sin. We wrestle with death. And sin and death often shape our daily actions. Sin and death often, the desires for sin and, and the ever-present thought of death, shape who, who we are. And Christ, through Peter, is proclaiming to us that because of what Christ has done for us, no longer should these things shape us. So ultimately, your daily decisions should be being shaped no longer by the desire of sin and no longer by the thought of death. I mean, these early Christians are are being martyred. I mean, when, when, when Peter talks about a fiery trial, these Christians, and we've said it before, are, are literally going through fiery trials. Emperor Nero is burning them at the stake with literal fire. Death is approaching them. 
And Peter is saying, don't be shaped by death. Don't be shaped by sin. Though you are suffering, don't let the suffering shape shape you so much that you continue to look like sin and someone controlled by death. Now here's the, the real talk for me. I want to I want to blame it like Goofy or Mickey Mouse or one of those cartoons that I grew up and say it's it's not me it's like the devil inside of me I want to put blame on to someone else well yeah I can't help it it's who I am I just can't I just can't help it. I'm like a chihuahua I just can't help it it's who it's who I am that's not the case because what did Josh read earlier what did we talk about last week what is Christ doing inside of us we are a new creation the old is gone the former has passed away new life has come in us and so daily it's this preaching the gospel to ourselves this reminder that Christ is living in us we are now the temple of Christ living in us and through us making his glorious appeal to the world through through us and so we want to be shaped by that this is why we talk about Romans 12 1 and 2 just a couple of weeks ago Lord, renew my mind, change my mind, transform me into your likeness. Christian, you know this, but Christ didn't save you. And we said this last week, Christ didn't save you just to make a better you. You know that, right? I'm going to say it again. He didn't save you just to make a, a better you. I hope to be better. I hope people recognize that. But I hope ultimately people are not recognizing me as a better person, but they are recognizing Christ as the best in my being transformed into his likeness, he might be the one that receives all the glory. When Peter talks about the suffering that we are going to experience, when he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, he, he's talking about or, or reminding us that suffering will happen in many shapes and forms. And in many shapes and forms, that suffering will shape you and form you if you allow it. Suffering can cause bitterness. It could cause you to become jaded. Suffering could cause you to misplace your fear, become afraid of death. Suffering could lead you into sin. And I think we would all agree, again, that's not what we're desiring. We want to, we want to give glory to Christ. We want this new created life through the living hope of Jesus. We want these things. We desire for these things that are happening to us. The suffering even to point to the victory of Jesus. Suffering can. Suffering can lead to victory. But again, I want to remind you, not your victory, but suffering can lead to the victory of Jesus. So as to live the rest of your life, uh, or sorry, let's, uh, the second part of verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Think about what Christ has done. Suffering in the flesh reminding ourselves of the suffering of Christ, letting us think about that the suffering of Christ led to the conquering of sin. No longer to be ruled by that. Well, I'm suffering through the sin, and at some point I'm going to overcome it. You, I'm texting, sorry. You ain't. You ain't going to overcome it. Christ has, though, and that's the good news. That's where we rest. Christ, on my own, I can't overcome the suffering. I know, Matt. <laughs> Quit being so immature. I know that you can't overcome it on your own. That's why I sent my son to, to do the work for you. Rest in the work of my son. What Peter is saying, what's the remedy for suffering? What's the remedy for, for sin? What's the remedy for all of life? 
The remedy is Jesus, that he came to rescue us. And then we should arm ourselves like soldiers preparing for battle, not with our own strength, our own moral get-upness and get-readiness, but instead we should arm ourselves with the same thinking of Christ, knowing that in the end, all glory will be given to the Father, that there has been a, a victory. Sin, death, Satan has been conquered, and we can rest in Jesus and Jesus alone. If we allow, if we allow the suffering to shape us into the image of Christ and transform us into the image of Christ, Christ will receive the glory. And if you're wrestling with that this morning, maybe you're going through suffering times, Peter, though he didn't know this, Christ has preserved his word and is giving it to you this morning that you may be reminded that whatever your suffering looks like, small, large, whatever, however you want to describe it, whatever your suffering looks, looks like, this suffering can point towards the victory of Jesus. And you should, you should run with every chance you get towards that victory. As, again, I want to remind you, as a Christian, you're not trying to become a better you. It's not about that. Instead, we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We're focusing ourselves, our daily self, on the mercy of God and the suffering of Christ. Our minds in that, when we focus on the mercy of God and the suffering of Christ, our minds will be renewed. Romans 12.1, 2 Corinthians 3.18. What could, what could have become a jaded life is now shaped into the smooth righteousness of Jesus. We're recognizing that suffering could lead us down the path of bitterness, could lead us down the path of sin, could lead us down the path of becoming a jaded person. But instead, we say, no, this is not about me. Even this suffering that's happening to me, Lord, help me remember, that's not even about me. And instead, let me be shaped into the smoothness of the righteousness of Christ that he might be exalted instead of me. What might you look like who might you glorify if you seek the sanctifying power of suffering? What if you said, Lord, today let me suffer? Who says that? Who says that? Those whose mind is set upon the glory given to the Father. Christ didn't give us the opposite example. He said one time in the garden, take this suffering or take this cup away from me. But no, Lord, let it be. Let your will be done. And so we too follow that example of our suffering Savior, of our sanctifying Savior, that we might say, Lord, as hard as it sounds and as much as I don't want to say it out loud to you because you might hold me accountable to it, Lord, let me suffer for your glory, for the sanctifying power of becoming more like Christ so that Christ might be exalted upon the whole earth. We get caught up sometimes thinking that our current condition was determined by our past events, our past decisions. Well, the reason why I am who I am today is because of my past. If Christ is not your Lord, then yes, your current condition is based upon your past. We think our past determines our future. And if Christ is not your Lord, then yes, you're correct. But if Christ is your Lord, His past work of suffering determines your future. If Christ is Lord, your current condition can be redeemed and used for His glory. Your current suffering can be seen as a victory if Christ is your Lord. Your current suffering and your future suffering can point to 
you and others the living hope that we have in Jesus. If we allow sin and death to shape us, you get the glory. Death gets the glory. Sin gets the glory. But if we allow Christ to shape us, even in the midst of suffering, Christ gets the glory. Suffering can and is, and we see it, the pathway to victory. The pathway to the victory of Jesus. But the victory is not in your suffering. You know that, right? Or even your overcoming of the suffering. The victory is in Jesus. And this is often why we say, point and fix your eyes upon Christ. And at the end, we'll talk about Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that we might run this race, that we might cling to, that we might see and let our vision be cast upon the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. When James tells us, and Peter tells us, and the author of Hebrews tells us that trials and suffering can be seen as joy only when our vision is cast upon Jesus. Only when we see what he has done truly to be a victory can we endure cross-like things with joy. Peter goes on to say that we should be separated from the Lord. I mean, so, sorry, separated from the world. That the Lord is the one separating us from the world from sin. He goes on to say that we shouldn't be living for the, no longer living for the passions of this world, but for the will of the Lord. Christians should arm themselves with the intention to suffer so that they live the remainder of their lives carrying out God's will instead of fulfilling the human lust that controlled or dominated our lives before. Peter begins to He begins to list these things that the Gentiles, the, the people around them, are known for. That that a Life being shaped by sin and death, this is what it would look like. He describes it in verse 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. List these things that they're a part of. Living in sensuality, living in passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. These are the things that they're a part of. These are the things... That when your life is shaped by sin and death, this is what we expect to come out of those things. Maybe you've seen the movie uh, Secondhand Lions. Anybody seen that movie? Great little movie. We, Mandy and I, hashtag confession, we stole that movie on the day that Reese was born. Uh, and, never, and we never gave it back. We still have it. And so we stole it from some friends. And they, they asked for us to return it. And we never have. It's still at our house. <sighs> so, sorry. I, that was just random. But anyways, um, probably should, now that I've said that out loud, and then probably should do something about that. <clears throat> Secondhand lions. Do you remember when um, they, re, they bought a bunch of seeds, and uh, they planted all those seeds, and they labeled them as, you know, this is tomatoes, and this is okra, and this is cucumbers, and this is whatever. And then they started to water them, and they those seeds began to grow. And all those rows that they planted, the plants all looked the same. Though they were labeled differently, they all looked the same. And in fact, all they received was the seed of corn, and they planted several rows of corn. And that's all they had. It was obvious. The seeds that they planted all became the same, the same thing. Peter is trying to get our minds around that our life... You have to go back to verse, or chapters 1, 2, and 3. Our life as being defined and shaped and sanctified by Jesus, 
He has set us apart as holy people, set apart people, that we might look differently, that our passions, that our desires, that our affections may truly mirror who our Savior is. And that people might recognize, we might have a marked difference about us, that Christ truly is our Savior. That we're not a part of lawless idolatry. I can be a part of lawful idolatry. I can justify my idolatry all the time. Justify it. I'm not that bad of a sinner. When the Bible talks about lawless idolatry, I tend to just have lawful idolatry. We begin to justify the sins that we are in. When we do that, we present ourselves at the crossroads of two paths. Do I want my life to be marked by the will of God and eternal life, or do I want my life to be shaped by sin and death? When we step towards justifying our sinful actions, we move in the direction of being shaped by sin and death instead of eternal life, that given to us by Christ through his suffering, through his sacrifice. And once we allow our life, the life, I, I have a hard time saying our life, because it doesn't even belong to us. You know that, right? We've been bought with a price. We are not our own. So, so it's not our life, but the life that we've been given, the life that has been purchased for us, that we're still, he still gives to us for whatever reason. When we allow Christ to shape our life, our life will be marked by holiness and righteousness. When we allow him to do the work of changing our heart, we should be willing to suffer for doing what is right, for Christ's sake. We should be willing to say no to sin, to abstain from these things. We should be willing to adjust our lives, to be obedient to Christ and Christ alone. I love that, that Peter is saying, don't join them in verse 4. It says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. That we're not running with them. That, that word there is a run to or a plunging in. That we're not plunging into the same old ways. We, we are different. Our life is marked differently because we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. No longer living for the passions of the flesh, but instead passionately living for the life that Christ has given us through his suffering and sacrifice. And most importantly, probably through his resurrection as a living hope that we now have. But can I say something to you, Christian? Don't be misled. Yes, we're no longer to run to the sinful ways of the, of the world. Yes, we shouldn't take the plunge back into sin. Yes, we shouldn't adjust our lives to darkness, but instead we should be living according to the light. But don't be misled, Christian. We like to look at that list and see what we're not doing. And again, justify anything that we might think as sinful. And why do we do this? Because we desire to vindicate ourselves instead of glorifying Christ. We like to look at this list and say, I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that. And we want to prove that to Gentiles and Christians. Hey, look, see, see, how, see how I'm not doing a majority of these things? And we try and vindicate our, ourselves. See me, I'm not that sinful. See me, I'm religious. See me, I'm different from the world. I mean, again, isn't this kind of what Peter is saying? 
to stay sin-free. Don't run into sin or plunge into sin with the Gentiles. Don't do these things. Shouldn't we be this way? There should be a marked difference, right? Not living or shaped by the passions of sinful flesh, but instead being shaped by the Lord's will. Yes, there should be a marked difference. Others should see that you abstain from sinful passions of this world. But can I remind you, church, that we're not preaching a message of, yay, you're not sinning as much anymore. We're not preaching a message of, yay, good job, you didn't sin as much as you did yesterday. We're not celebrating those things. We are celebrating and preaching the gospel, the good news that Jesus has conquered sin, Satan, and the grave. And we are being shaped by him and him alone. He is our Savior and we rest in him and him alone. Our desires, our desires should be different. Our motives should be different. Our passions should be different. But can we get to the heart of the matter? We're not setting you, Christ is not setting you apart just so that you can say, look at me, I'm different. He's not setting you apart so we can be religiously pious people and say, see, I don't sin like you. Christ didn't set us apart for that. We want to point out my sin, your sin. We want to point those out. We want to point and prove that we're not as sinful as we used to be. And ultimately, if you're like me, Zach knows this, I want to prove to him just how right I am. Mandy knows it too, but I didn't want to make it so personal. We want to vindicate ourselves so that we are not judged with eternal death. Verses 5 and 6. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That through, that, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Yeah, we know that judgment is coming. And this is why we try and vindicate ourselves and point out, look how bad other people are. Look at those sins. Look at that list. Praise God, I'm not doing all those things. We want to vindicate our own actions. And I think that we miss the point. The gospel should never be preached to prove that you are right. The gospel should never be preached to prove that you are righteous. The gospel should never be preached to prove that you are holy. The gospel should always be preached to show who is righteous, who is holy, who is pure, who is the redeemer, who is the rescuer. The gospel should always be preached to show who is ultimately, always, and eternally will always be right, Jesus. The gospel should be preached because Jesus came to bring life, to destroy the works of sin, Satan, and the grave. Sin separates, but the Son came to restore. I love that in this list, Peter makes this little sandwich here in verses 1 and verses 6, and in the middle there's this, uh, you know, the, the middle of the sandwich, this is like sin. He says at the beginning, hey, remember Christ and his suffering. Don't allow suffering to jade you, to make you bitter. Don't allow suffering to cause you to sin. But instead, in your suffering, have the same mind as Christ. Arm yourself with that, ready for battle, that you might be like Christ. 
We don't want you to be a, living a life full of sin. We don't want sin to shape your life as the middle of the sandwich. We don't want those things to shape you. But instead, we want, we want the righteous judge, the one who has adopted you, the one who has rescued you and is rescuing you and is, and is sustaining your life. We want him to be the one who is shaping you. And then he ends with this. Why is the gospel preached? Why is the suffering happening? Why are these things happen, happening? That they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Suffer. Allow that suffering to shape you into the likeness of Jesus, transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Look at sin and say, Christ has conquered that. I don't want that in my life. Lord, continue to sanctify me. Continue to smooth me out into, right, for, into righteousness and for righteousness' sake. Christ, allow the gospel to remind me. It's not about me proving myself right or proving myself righteous or making myself better, but you have sent the most righteous, perfect one of them all to come and take my place that I might be saved for all eternity. What if your suffering, what if your suffering and your abstaining from sin led someone to eternal life? What if your suffering and your abstaining from sin, what if those things led you to glorifying Jesus, to casting your vision upon him and him alone? I think the hope is that. I think Peter is trying to remind these Christians, don't give up. Though suffering happens, don't plunge back into sin. Though it'll, it's everywhere. Any way you turn, you'll see it. But instead of running back into sin, run to the arms of the Father. Don't adjust your life. Conform, maybe he's uh, thinking the same thought as, as Paul. Don't conform yourself into the image of this world, but instead be completely and radically changed by my Jesus. I'm going to get Belinda to turn off the lights real quick, not for a mood setting, uh, but just as a way uh, of illustration before um, we close and respond to Christ. It's darker now than it was, and your eyes have begun to adjust to the darkness. And I'm having a hard time seeing your faces because of the light that's coming in through the back. And in fact, all I can really see as I look at right here, I can see some shadows and some silhouettes, but all I can really see is the light coming through from the back. And your eyes have adjusted, and you probably can see me and my cool beard, and you're still impressed by it, aren't you? But it's amazing how quickly, amazing how quickly your eyes have adjusted to the darkness. My hope is this, church, that we would stop becoming so adjusted and conformed to the pattern of this world. That there would be a marked difference in us. That we would be folks redeemed and being redeemed by Jesus who only want to cast our vision upon the light. And that light be so blinding that people recognize with unveiled faces we are beholding Jesus. We are being transformed in his likeness and that the glory of Christ, the glory of Christ might be put on display for the world to see. The one who is right, the one who is righteous, the one who is pure, the one who is holy. And the light might be blinding to the world. Christ is it. Whatever your suffering is tomorrow, Christ is it. Trust in him and him alone.
Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for time to gather, to worship you, for time to hear your word. God, I hope that I was out of the way. God, our hope is that you speak. God, that we might be changed by you. God, that we might be known as a group of people, not by name, individual names, not by our individual past, not even by our individual futures, but instead that we might be known as a group of people who belong to Jesus, who are being sustained by Jesus, whose passion and affections are only Jesus. God, in the midst of our suffering this week, if we do suffer, God, I pray that we, we as Christian brothers and sisters might encourage and spur one another along. God, if there's anyone who's caught up in sin, entangled in it, that we as Christian brothers and sisters might encourage one another to a life of faith and repentance. God, that we might see how sin separates us from you. God, we might respond to your mercy and your grace and your compassion. We might respond to the suffering of our Savior. We might confess Christ as Lord and continue to confess Christ as Lord. God, that we might, as people belonging to you, not rest in our own work, but instead we might rest in the work of Jesus. God, continue to speak to us. Continue to exalt yourself and glorify yourself. Continue to let your name be proclaimed here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me stand and we'll respond, sing together, and worship Christ. Thank you.